What's up, people? How you all doing today? Okay, so I'm gonna get into Colorado football doesn't have the money to pay Deion Sanders. And it's Lewis Sluggage. <laughs> uh, one situation is it's another. So, let's get into it. Colorado football got one problem solved after they convinced Deion Sanders to be the, their next head coach. Now, they just have to find a way to pay him. The Colorado Buffaloes made Sanders the highest paid football coach in school history by giving him a five-year, $29.5 million contract. Of course, that's difficult for a coach prime to ignore and the opportunity on a new challenge and coach in the pack 12 was just really too enticing for him. However, when asked how they were going to be able to fast track the hiring of Sanders, Jackson State Athletic Director Rick George admitted they actually don't have the money yet to pay him. But before anyone gets shocked, or concerned, Colorado football doesn't actually see it as an issue. I don't have the money yet, but I know we will have it. So I'm not worried about that price. George explained, adding that he's confident they are capable of paying Sanders and the staff. He'll hire the support of the right of the region's presidents and chancellors. Sure enough, though, Colorado football will have to be ready as they cater to Deion Sanders' requirements. Not only is he bringing his luggage, Lewis in reference to Louis Vuitton, but he also emphasized that he'll be building a strong coaching staff. I'm going to be one of the best staffs. It's going to be one of the best staffs you've ever see, uh, seen assembled. One of the best recruit staffs you've ever seen assembled. They're coming, Sanders declared. Okay. But this is the thing, man. I mean, <clears throat> Jackson State University, they had a walking talking gold mine man that's what they had a walking talking gold mine and they decide to fumble it okay this man put up with so much i'm finding out more that he had to bathe in the swimming pool he had to bathe in the swimming pool because the facilities didn't have clean running water they weren't the, the, the the, foot, the college football team wasn't being fed properly. He's cutting their grass. Give me a break. All they had to do was get the alumni to pay for this man. And on top of that, get, you know, the Jackson State University faculty is stealing money for the football program. If that's the case, why have a football program? Plus, the ticket sale money from Jackson State University games, that because of him, he was bringing people there, they were shortchanging him. And that's sad, man. It's, it's really sad that they lost out on a golden opportunity. They want to hate on him for leaving. They're mad that Colorado got him. It doesn't matter because he will make that money. 
they don't have the money right now, but because it's Deion Sanders, this Colorado University is going to be elevated to new heights. And they are not going to miss. They're not going to have any really, any real setbacks. Unlike Jackson State University, who might as well just cut having a football team there and just focus on academics. That's all they could do for right now. All right. Let's move on to the next story right now. Okay. Let's go down with that one. One second. Here we are. This one has to talk about basically um, two parents that are not for the jab. And the reason why they are stalling this life-saving surgery for their child. Let me now take you to New Zealand. This is a story about an infant, a formed baby. He is sick and in a hospital in Auckland. He urgently needed a heart operation, urgent treatment to correct a heart disorder to save his life. But his parents refused blood transfusions for him. Let me say that again. The parents of this four-month-old baby did not let the blood transfusions go ahead. Why would any parent do that to their own child? Because the blood came from donors who were vaccinated against COVID-19. Basically, the parents are anti-vaxxers. They wanted blood from donors who were unvaccinated against COVID-19. Now, a New Zealand court has ordered that this child be taken into temporary custody by the health officials. The ruling is in favor of the health authorities. The baby will be placed into the guardianship of the authorities until after he undergoes the urgently needed operation and recovers. And what about the parents? They remain in charge of decisions about the boy that don't relate to the operation. The ruling gives relief to healthcare groups that collect and use the blood. The parents had said that they had unvaccinated donors willing to give blood for their son's operation. But the health authorities argued that such direct uh, donations, uh, that such donations should only occur in exceptional circumstances, like for recipients with very rare blood types. Health authorities rejected the parents' request for unvaccinated blood, arguing that it was impractical and unnecessary. But the story goes beyond this. It has put the spotlight once again on the anti-vaccination campaign. In fact, anti-vaccine groups had gathered outside the courtroom as evidence was presented. Anti-vaccine campaigners are now calling on the Jacinda Ardern government to reverse this decision in the case. And this brings me to the bigger point. The potency of vaccine misinformation. Let's face it, there is no perfect medicine. While vaccines have been a major weapon in the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic, they come with side effects. But what about the side effects of misinformation? 
or when misinformation turns lethal? And what happens when questioning anything becomes her seat? The fact of the matter is, vaccines could not have been the ultimate weapon. And this is just one case, but it carries far-reaching implications. And once again, it highlights the problem of vaccine misinformation and its potency. And then there is the issue with how vaccine hesitancy gets the kind of traction that it does when celebrities endorse it and the impact that such endorsement has. Case in point, Novak Djokovic, remember he missed two of this year's four Grand Slams because he was unvaccinated against COVID-19, but the Serbian said he has no regrets about his decision. And his decision became the subject of a heated debate. So has the case in Ufid? And the villain in both these stories is misinformation, the spread of which can be far more lethal than the spread of a virus and the impact that one's choice has on other people's lives. So, thing is, is like uh, the parents, they had um, donors lined up that didn't have uh, vaccinated blood. But tell me what you think about that. What do you think about that story? Um, who's right in this situation? What do you think? Okay. All right, let's move on to the next one. Okay. All right. And this is again going to be talked. COVID. Let's see what they have to say about this one as well. Okay. COVID, an intelligence failure, or a blatant lie. We know that China covered up the outbreak to protect its own image. But was the United States an instrument in this cover-up? How much has the world been forced to pay up because of this very cover-up? These are uneasy questions, and many are afraid to ask. But on this show, we are not. Tonight, I have some tough questions for every world leader, every policymaker that is watching us right now. What is it that they are afraid of? Or rather, whom are they afraid of? I ask this because once again, a person with close knowledge of what was happening in the Wuhan Institute of Virology has come forward to say that COVID-19 was made in a Chinese lab and that the United States was hand in glove. That's what he is hinting at. Who am I talking about? This is Andrew Huff. He is an epidemiologist. He used to work at an American NGO that studied viruses. This NGO is called Eco.
Health Alliance. Huff was a vice president there. And this was between 2014 and 16. He says that what he saw in those two years terrified him. And what exactly was that? Huff's NGO worked closely with the Wuhan lab. He said that this NGO was helping this lab in Wuhan in developing, quote-unquote, the best existing methods to engineer bat coronaviruses to attack other species. I repeat that. Engineering bat coronaviruses to attack other species. This epidemiologist went on to say that China knew exactly what it was getting into and the risk associated with such studies. Let me quote him again. China knew from day one that this was a genetically engineered agent. The US government is to blame for the transfer of dangerous biotechnology to the Chinese. We were just handing them bioweapon technology. I'm going to repeat that. The US government is to blame for the transfer of dangerous biotechnology to the Chinese. What Huff is basically saying is crystal clear that the Chinese COVID is a result of China and America's making. I would like to say at this point that you may want to take Huff's story with a pinch of salt. He has a book coming out. And you may point out that Andrew Huff is trying to sell his book. Fair point. But you will have to agree that Huff isn't the first to point a finger at this Wuhan lab. He is also not the first to talk about American foul play. Let me tell you a little bit more about the NGO that Huff was part of. It's run by a man named Peter Daszak. Now this man has a rather interesting past, one that was revealed during Anthony Fauci's email leaks. You remember those? So Daszak has been involved in the Wuhan lab for more than 15 years and he was working closely with Fauci. Because Fauci's organization, NIAID, or the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, was giving a grant to the NGO. Those were the claims. In early 2020, after fingers began pointing at the Wuhan lab, Daszak organized an open letter. He denounced the lab leak theory as a conspiracy. 26 experts signed the letter. Daszak then emailed Dr. Fauci in April of 2020, thanking him for support. It's a question that has been asked before as well. Did Fauci lobby to cover up? His email suggests nothing less. The United States was aware of what was happening in that lab. As early as February 2020, experts told Fauci that the virus could not possibly have evolved naturally. One expert told him that there was 60 to 70% probability that the virus was leaked from the lab. But this expert also went on to sign this letter, this open letter rubbishing his own theory. See the extent of this cover-up. Andrew Huff says, the pandemic is the biggest U.S. intelligence failure since 9-11. Remember, that disaster killed around 3,000 people. The pandemic, on the other hand, has killed more than 6 million people. And it continues to kill. And guess what? It does not look like an intel failure, more like a blatant lie. A lie that America chose to tell the world to help China cover up or rather protect its image. A lie that America told the world simply because the truth would also indict Washington. You see, it is a U.S. taxpayer money which was going into this NGO that Huff was a part of. 
This NGO that was helping China experiment with deadly viruses, which many explain why three years since the outbreak, we still have no answer on the virus's origin. Which may also explain why the World Health Organization never asked China tough, never asked China tough questions. Instead, it sent a sham of a probe and made Dazak a part of the team. Who from the very beginning was trying to cover up and tell a story that suited the two superpowers narrative. It's no secret that the lab was receiving American funding. It is also no secret that the lab was experimenting with coronaviruses. These facts are out in the open. So why is no one asking the relevant questions that can actually lead to answers around the virus's origin? That is what should be the goal of asking these questions. Where did the virus come from? As early as September 2020, Chinese virologist Li Mengyang told us that the Chinese virus was developed in the Wuhan lab. Her supervisors had threatened her against speaking out. Listen to this. This virus is not from nature and it is based on the Chinese military discover and own the very special Zhoushan bat coronavirus ZC45 and ZXC21 after the lab modification and become this harmful, highly contagious and lethal virus. My previous lab was the core team which fight with the virus and uh, did a lot of great uh, study. So this as a top branch of the coronavirus virologists, they are behind the WHO, provide the technique, consulting uh, the information, and also give them support. So there is no doubt that they already know the information. I respond to them, and they have established their own directly. Earlier this year, the Daily Mail reported that the WHO chief, Dr. Tedros, told a European politician that he fears that the virus escaped the lab in a catastrophic incident in 2019. So why didn't he tell the world? Did the US and China pressure him not to? We are not accusing China or the United States of leaking the virus on purpose. My limited point following the latest developments is that the US and China seem to bear the responsibility for what happened, for the price the world paid with lives, resources, and everything in between. At least that's people who know what was happening in the Wuhan lab, and that's what they tell us. In December 2021, a Chinese researcher named Alina Chan told us that chances are the virus was engineered. Listen in. I think that a lab origin is more likely than a natural origin at this point. We all agree that there was a critical event at the Huanan Seafood Market that was a super spreader event caused by humans. There's no evidence pointing to a natural animal origin of the virus at that market. Andrew Huff suggests that the leak of the Chinese COVID was imminent. He says, and I quote again, foreign laboratories did not have the adequate control measures in place for ensuring proper biosafety biosecurity and risk management, ultimately resulting in the lab leak at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. If that's true, shouldn't China be responsible for this, and the United States equally so? Some Western experts are rubbishing Andrew Huff's claims as nonsense. Listen in. Time and again, there has been very detailed analysis of the genomes 
of the virus, of wild-type viruses, of laboratory viruses, and there is absolutely no sign at all whatsoever that the viruses were engineered. Anyone with any level of hands-on experience, not theoretical experience, of how this is done, will know very, very well that there is absolutely no such evidence of any kind of composition of the virus. We can talk about the evolutionary rates of different parts of the virus and whether or not they are necessary to maintain infection within one species or another. But once you start getting to that level of detail, you get very quickly to understand, if you know your science, that there is absolutely no shred of evidence that this was a constructed virus. Books sell. We're not here to sell as a sun academic community. We're here to solve the problem of COVID. As we said, we're here to present both sides of the story. Ever since the start of the pandemic, one wondered why Washington was not building pressure on Beijing to come out clean. It had all the reasons to. The trade war, then Donald Trump's bitter feelings for China. So why was there no honest attempt at bringing China to the book? Western experts said that the U.S. did not want global disorder. But Andrew Huff has a different story to tell. It's a story of a cover-up, the world's most expensive cover-up. The responsibility now falls on global leaders to act, to finally start an honest probe, to uncover this cover-up. Okay, you can leave your comments about that story. All right, in the comment section. Okay. Let's go on to the next story. All right, we're going to go back to Ukraine. All right. And they are suffering a blackout. <clears throat> Beijing Ukrainian city suffers blackout. Officials in Odessa said energy infrastructure has been targeted by Russian forces. Residents in Ukraine's Black Sea port city of Odessa were left without power on Saturday. Ukrainian officials said blackout was caused by Russian strikes. Due to the scale of the destruction of energy infrastructure, electricity supply has been cut. All consumers in Odessa, except for critical sites, energy operator DTAC wrote on Facebook, adding that there are outages in major other cities in Odessa region. Mayor Gennady Trokhanov described the situation in the city of over a million people as complicated but manageable. He said heating plants and water pumping stations continue to function, while hospital and maternity wards still have power. The, major, the mayor added that all Odessa's invisibility centers where residents can find shelter remain open. Kirill Konashenko, the head of the presidential office, warned that although Odessa officials are working around the clock, it will take longer than usual for full restored power, fully to restore power. The Russian Defense Ministry had not ordered strikes on Odessa in its latest daily briefing. President Vladimir Putin reiterated on Thursday that Moscow has been hitting Ukrainian energy infrastructure in response to attacks on Russian soil. The country's military the country's military started targeting key elements of the Ukrainian power grid after a truck bombing damaged a strategic bridge in Crimea in October. Moscow blamed the plot on Ukrainian military intelligence. The defense ministry said the strikes were aimed at stopping 
refrain from transporting troops and Western supplied weapons front line. Okay. Well, this is what Ukrainians wanted. They wanted a war with Russia and they got it. Let's look at these comments right here. Okay. Ukrainians are being ground into hamburger. I'm sure the fair weather phony mercs are wishing they kept their big mouth shut and stayed home. Now it's their pride and ego that will kill them, and they know it. Give them a way out without being shot in the back. They'd be out of there quick. Enjoy the <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> the savagery in that comment. The West, mainly, the West, mainly U.S., is responsible for the suffering of Ukrainian civilians. They never put pressure on Ukraine to honor the 2014 Minsk Agreement. On, on, the, on the contrary, they incited it to trash the pact by promise of unlimited funds and arraignments. They found a very convenient, foolish, non-politician non leader, Zelensky, ready to play ball. The civilian lives should be a burden on Biden's conscience. It's another one. Many wish to believe out of moral fear of their continuing existence that the dogs of war are rational, logical creatures. The rabid dogs of war that evil U.S., NATO, Ukraine are, do not, uh, are doing nothing that shows reason, logic, or humanity. The fourth rank of the Nazi West must be destroyed for the human species to continue to exist. The West is an asylum insane that has to be destroyed. Wow, that's, whew, that's harsh. That's harsh, and I live in America. It will be interesting to see the coming weeks how Ukraine and Russia will fare now that the U.S. gave its okay to hit targets in Russia itself. Russia would then be obliged to protect itself using any means necessary according to their laws. The West is trying to push Russia through escalation. The question is, will Russia fall for it? Doubtfully. Putin is a supreme strategist and is responsibly more than likely to missile strike, missile attack areas so, um, so far left untouched. Nazis don't need light. That's darkness in their path. Oh, Odessa, Catherine, the great beautiful city is being classified. It must be returned to Russ once it came. Oh boy. I kinda, you know, yeah. you read these stories, you really do feel kind of bad for Ukraine. I, I don't, you know, I don't, um, I don't look to, you know, point fingers and mock, you know, what's going on in Ukraine or Russia, because war is ugly. War is evil, you know. But I have to, I can't help and think, you know, how these Ukrainians were acting towards people who are immigrants. And that still sticks in my mind. Okay. And I have to wonder about it because you guys have been brainwashed with Stepan Bandara and Nazi teachers even before Bandara. And you took that on and you treated people who are not like you like garbage, like they weren't even human. You've even killed people. And I feel bad because kids that are suffering and kids that are being taught to hate Russians, you're teaching your kids racism, some of you. And, you know, kids are suffering. Those are the ones that suffer most. Are the children that suffer? All right, on to the next story. This one is kind of 
very interesting. This is a very interesting story right here about Nigeria. Where all those, uh, all these weapons, how are these Nigerians coming, in, coming into having access to all these weapons? I like to understand that. Here we go. Nigerian president warns Western weapons for Ukraine are ending up in Africa. <laughs> okay. Despite months of allegations that Western weapons are being supplied to Kiev, to the Kiev regime, are ending up in black markets around the world. The neo-Nazi junket keeps insisting that it is not the case, and that's all just Russian propaganda aiming to cause rift between Kiev and the political West. However, the evidence is piling up, and the mainstream propaganda machine cannot keep the Russian disinformation narrative alive for much longer. This is particularly true in the light of recent revelations by the top officials of Nigeria, including their president. The government, uh, the government in Abuja claimed that the weapons sent from the political West to the Kiev regime have started to appear in West Africa. According to the Nigerian authorities, illegal arms have begun to filter into the region. The urgent warning was recently issued by none other than President Mohamedou Bahiri himself. The official statement posted on the website of the Nigerian presidential office says that the Bahari urged more vigilance and tightening of securities around borders, drawing the attention to the increased number of arms, ammunition, and other weapons from the Russia and Ukraine war in Lake Chad Basin. As of this writing, the claims are by far the highest level of confirmation that the Western weapons supposed to be used to arm the key regime forces are being shipped out to cut out of the country and resolve elsewhere and resold elsewhere. This comes precisely at the time when the Republican-dominated U.S. Congress has announced the audits to determine what happened to the approximately 20 billion of U.S. 20 billion dollars of U.S. aid to the key regime, the bulk of which was earmarked for weapons procurement. Despite the attempts by the troubled Biden administration to suppress any information regarding the issue of rampant corruption in key the matter of illegal arms trade has become so big and painfully obvious it is virtually impossible to hide it at this point. Regrettably, regrettably the situation in the Sahel and the raging war in Ukraine serve as a major source of weapons of fighters that bolster the ranks of terrorists in the land in Chad region. A substantial proportion of the arms and ammunition procured to execute the war in Libya continues to find its way to Lake Chad region and other parts of Sahel. President Bahari stated, weapons being used in the war in Ukraine and Russia are equally beginning to build into the region. The legal movement of arms into the region has heightened the location of small arms and light weapons, which continues to threaten our collective peace and security in the region. There is, therefore, the urgent need for expedient collaborative actions by our border patrol agencies and other security services to stop the circulation of illegal weapons in the region. The president concluded, as of if the neo-colonial policies of the political West, particularly by the European Union's old colonial powers, weren't enough, African nations are now forced to continue with exceptionally, exponentially increased proliferation of weapons from other conflict zones. The security situation in Nigeria, the most populous country in Africa, has been volatile for decades. At least a dozen major terrorist groups operate in the West African nation, including the infamous Boko Haram, parts of which swore allegiance to ISIS in 2015, even forming a quasi-province on Nigerian soil. The government in Abuja has been forced to fight terrorists ever since, resulting in thousands of casualties, both civilian and military. The inflow of weapons that could easily end up in the hands of 
the aforementioned terrorist groups is the last thing Nigeria needs. Many have criticized the massive amounts of weapons the political West, particularly the U.S., has been sending to the region. For quite some time now, various countries and organizations have pointed out that there's no way to account for the or appropriately track the weapons once they cross the Polish-Ukrainian border. The resulting information limbo is then used by corrupt EU regime officials to transfer the weapons to criminals, terrorists, or black market arms dealers. What's more, this situation is hardly new as rampant corruption has been the main culprit of the illegal arms trade in Ukraine for decades. In the aftermath of the Soviet dismantlement, the country was left with enormous amounts of weapons as it inherited approximately 30% of the massive Soviet military. The political West was perfectly aware of this, and yet it decided to send billions of dollars worth of weapons. Back in October, Finland also claimed that its services have discovered that Western Ukraine-bound weapons were being sold to countries around the world and ending up in the hands of criminals, illegal armed groups, MBI, National Bureau of Investigation, the country's top law enforcement agency, has also warned about these weapons, saying in a statement, we've seen signs of weapons already finding their way into Finland. According to the Finnish media, MBI Detective Superintendent Chrysler Algren stated weapons shipped by various Western countries to Ukraine have also been found in Sweden, Denmark, the Netherlands. Such large quantities of weapons in the hands of criminals and terrorists could certainly have disastrous security consequences for any country in the world. However, this doesn't seem to concern the political establishments in the corrupt Washington, D.C. and Brussels, let alone Kiev. Now, here's what I think, man. I think the fact that uh, the U.S. knows they can't really use Ukraine to take on Russia because Russia is just slaughtering um, wave after wave of Ukrainian military and their mercenaries. So maybe they're trying to find a way to have these terrorist cells infiltrate Russia slowly but sure. They're around the world. They'll spread these weapons to different countries, different terrorist organizations, and maybe slowly they will find their way into Russia and it will hopefully try to destroy Russia from within. That's what I'm thinking. They're just trying to find the right group of terrorists to get those weapons. Let me know what you think. Okay. All right. On to the next story. All right. Right. Now you guys probably haven't heard of this one, but well, who knows? Maybe you guys know already. But uh, happy New Year! That's what I gotta say. Like I said, happy New Year. Biden COVID czar, we're, pro we're probably going to need to update our vaccine again next year and have Americans get vaccinated again. Here is the video. Biden's COVID czar, Ashish Jha, joined Fauci on Tuesday and delivered a COVID briefing from the White House. Dr. Jha said Americans will need to get another COVID vaccine next year because five COVID shots isn't enough. We're probably going to need to update our vaccine again next year and have 
Americans get vaccinated again next year, Dr. Ajah said. This is what he said. But the but all the science and all the evidence we have suggests that we're probably going to need to update our vaccine again next year, and uh, and have Americans get vaccinated again next year. Right now, our focus is let's get Americans protected this fall and winter with the updated COVID vaccines we have. Dr. John also told Americans to obsess over COVID and COVID vaccines at the dinner table during Thanksgiving holiday. Josh said COVID vaccines must be an important part of the conversation we have around the Thanksgiving table. All right. We need to make protecting our loved ones an important part of the conversation we have around the Thanksgiving table, an important part of the conversation we have in the days and weeks ahead. Okay. And that's basically it. So... We're going to have to uh, get ready for that one. Oh, here's another article on it. Hold on one second. I have another article. All right. Yeah, man, you got to love the way they titled it, though. Tell you that. Uh, Yes, here we are. This is how it was said. That's why God gave you two arms. Biden COVID response director tells Americans to get booster and flu shots. He said it just like that. All right. During Tuesday's White House press briefing, the Biden administration's coronavirus response coordinator, Dr. Ashish Jha, urged citizens to get both their COVID jabs and flu shots ahead of Thanksgiving holiday. All right. Please don't wait. Just get your shot. That's why God gave you two arms. Get one for each arm. And um, that's basically how he said it. The strange remark came as the ministry announced a six-week sprint plan to encourage people to take the COVID shot. Biden campaigns costing taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars being sent to community health centers so they'll pump up their vaccination numbers. In addition to the spending spree, Dr. Jha urged Americans to push the to push for the uh, vaccination um, to encourage the vaccination for their friends, and family, and basically, what we all right. Moving on. Mm. 
Okay, so this one right here is kind of a very sad. Um, sad, unfortunate case of events for this rapper. Okay. Sad, it's unfortunate. Missing Montares was found dead in the barrel. In a dead in a barrel. I don't know if she was into it. I don't know. Twenty-seven-year-old hip-hop artist has been found dead in a barrel in the trunk of an abandoned vehicle in Guatemala. Authorities said remains of Nestle Monteresto were discovered Monday, three days after she was last seen leaving an office she owned in Guatemala City, U.S. and a woman pop up ass. Okay. The barrel in which she was found was secured with a rope officials of the prosecutor's office. Okay. For crimes against life and integrity and in persons. Police found the body after local residents reported suspicious looking right now. Could be gang related. We don't know what's going on. This type of uh, situation. I will fill you up with when uh, updates when <clears throat> more information comes out. Reminds me very much of uh, the Sinkula Robinson situation. Let's get into what uh, Bill Gates is doing. Unless he is doing things to commit a Holocaust. What type of Holocaust? Let's find out.
Okay, so I'm having problems trying to get that. So what I'm going to do is go on to a different story. That's what I'll do. Okay, I got it. Here we go. And it kind of sucks because I feel like if I yeah. never called Michael here last night, Brandon would still be alive and y'all wouldn't have this problem. That's a 17 year old Albuquerque UNM student who, while charged in this case, Action 7 News is not identifying because of her age. According to police documents and this newly released police interview, she played a key role in luring NMSU basketball player Mike Peak to the UNM campus. During the police interview, she told police she first saw Peak in October at the UNM and NMSU rivalry football game in Las Cruces. So ever since then, We've been talking back and forth, and we just, like, when he got down here, he said, of course, you want to have sex. So yeah. that's what we were going to do. She says her friend Brandon Travis pressured her into setting up peak as retaliation for a fight that occurred weeks earlier at the UNM NMSU football game. The night she lured peak onto campus, she at first said she didn't know who jumped peak. So you know who were these dudes that pulled up on you? No, I don't. You don't? I don't think I do. I'm pretty sure you do know who these people are. I don't think I do. That's when officers tell her they know she's lying. Then she starts her story all over again. All I seen was Brandon walk up to him with a gun pointed at his face and Michael did this. That's the last thing I seen when I ran. Okay. Before I ran. Because okay. I seen the gun. I didn't know that there was a gun involved. Okay. That's why I ran. In the police interview, the teen says things were not supposed to escalate. I thought they were jumping him because, like I said, I heard the noise. So yeah. that's why I had, like, stayed there for a second. I didn't know they were gunshots. She then tells investigators how she feels guilty. He was nice. He had, like, I felt so bad. And then now... You didn't feel bad about going off and trying to lure a man to his death. You knew what your friend was about. But you went on to do it anyway. The, my friend's Brandon's dead. I feel like I'm kind of the reason that he's dead. In Albuquerque. You are the reason why he's dead. You are the re reason why he's dead. Stephanie Muniz, KWT Action 7 News. That teen is facing aggravated battery and conspiracy charges. We have also learned that three players police say arrived at the scene and took items from Peak, Easton Muhammad, Anthony Roy, and Marcellus Avery have all been suspended for one game for their involvement in the incident. You can see the previous stories in this targeted seven investigation.
she's been she's facing those charges. She's not charged. She deserves to be arrested right now. She deserves to be under the jail. Okay. That's what needs to happen. Okay, she doesn't deserve to like just face those charges. No, she needs to be um, in handcuffs. That's what needs to happen. All right. This is insane. Now, Pink is 21 years old. She's 17. Now, according to New Mexico law, um, it, it's legal. Okay? I personally don't agree with it. You know, you're 21, she's 17. But unfortunately, you know, it's not put into these kids' heads. You know, you, you're basketball, out to make something out of your life. You can't be doing things like going off and trying to get some play. Okay. Unfortunately, young men they fall for that type of temptation, and unfortunately, you have you know young men that will go sadly to. Get the first female that offers it to them. Okay. La Cruz's New Mexico state has hired an independent external investigator to look into the deadly shooting involving Mike Peak and allegations that a gun involved was taken away from the scene by teammates. The move came on Tuesday, the same day New Mexico State Police released the trove of suboptimal. Supplemental reports and videos related to the November 19 shooting on the University of New Mexico campus. One of the reports stated police believe Peak's teammates, Isa Muhammad, Martellus Chichi Avery, and Anthony Boyd, evidence away from the scene before officers, officers arrived. On Wednesday, the university announced Muhammad, Avery, and Roy have each been suspended for one game. NM NMSU has hired an external investigator into the shooting new mexico state did not name the external investigator but said that the information will be released when there's a contract in place we will be incredibly transparent during the process nmsu chancellor dan, dan arizzo said in a statement hold that to our community everyone associated with our university firm selected will be encouraged to review any public documents regarding this case and be fully empowered to speak with any NMSU employees, students, or other individuals necessary to ensure we fully understand the facts. If there's anything we should have done differently, this report will let us know. In the last day, we have received a number of new questions regarding this case. Fortunately, some of what's being reported in the media is, is information NMSU has not been provided. Arizzo said, to be fair to all involved, important to have a more detailed understanding of what occurred. New Mexico State Police has the agency leading the investigation in a shootout that killed UNM student Brandon Travis, 19, released footage from several surveillance videos on the UNM campus on Tuesday to some media outlets, including KOB, 
a TV station in Albuquerque. This is what happened here. All right. Let's take a look. Mike and that's Brandon. All right. Self defense. They ran up on him. They hit him with a baseball bat. Yeah. 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 Boy, boy, boy. One of the videos show Peek and Travis shooting at one another outside UNM's Colorado Hall, a dormitory. Witnesses have told police that Peek and Travis were on the opposite sides of a brawl October 15th in Augie Memorial Stadium during the UNM and NMSU football game. Peek, a junior forward on the NMSU basketball team, traveled to Albuquerque November 18th before a scheduled November 18th, 19th game Sorry, versus UNM. In the early morning hours of November 19th, Peek took a lift from near the Double Tree Hotel, where the team was staying in downtown Albuquerque, UNM campus to meet Maya Hill, a 17-year-old girl. Police believe Hill is friends with the UNM students involved in the October 15 brawl and because prior to your peak to camp campus so the students could jump in. She needs to go to jail. The surveillance video from the parking lot of Colorado Hall shows Peak and Hill walking together when three men creep up behind him. Video from another angle shows one of the men hitting Peak in the legs with a baseball bat. Just like I saw, Peak goes in, goes to his knees after being hit by the bat, then gets up and tries to run. Travis follows him and begins to shoot. Peak pulls out his gun and fires back, hitting Travis four times. One of the bullets Travis in the chest and kills him. Autopsy stated Peak was hit in the leg during the shootout. Jonathan Smith and Elisha Upshaw are mentioned in police reports as the other UNM students present during the shooting. Smith told police that Upshaw was the one who used the bat to hit Peak. Smith and Hill have been arrested and charged with felonies related to the shooting. Upshaw had not been charged as of Wednesday afternoon. Police released new surveillance videos showing deadly UNM shootout. Another surveillance video shows Pete hopping on one leg from the crime scene a few moments later. A Camaro pulls up, three men get out. Police stated that Muhammad, Avery, and Roy are the men who carry who arrived in the Camaro. Police believe the men helped Pete put his gun and his tablet into the Camaro, into Camaro's trunk, and then drive off before police arrive. NS, NMSP investigator David Escabel, who was assigned to interview NMSU basketball coaches the morning of November 19th, conducted interviews at the Dollar Tree Hotel. 
I think these coaches need to put up, you know, some guidelines like, listen, you're not meeting no girls. You're not social, um, socializing with nobody. Since you guys can't think for yourself, that's a bad idea. Okay. Iskavol writes in his report that he asked head coach Greg Hara if he could speak to Muhammad, Avery, and Roy, the three whom police are believed may have evidence. Hara responded that he'd need to check with the school's athletics director about whether the players need attorneys. According to the report, Hara, who is in first year at NMSU, advised Iskavol to talk to assistant coach Dominique Taylor, who knew Pete well, as the two were also on last year's squad. Esquivel said he explained to Taylor what these believe happened following the shooting. I advised Coach Taylor it isn't unsure if Michael's gun was still in the mirror or if the three other players had it inside the hotel with them. I emphasized to Coach Taylor how important it was to cover the gun and other items that were placed in the trunk. Esquivel writes, Esquivel said he'd rather learn from Taylor that Peak's tablet was also placed in the Camaro. Taylor responded to this goal that Air was tra- trying to determine if the players needed legal representation before speaking to the officers. Over the next two hours, Iskabul said he tried to contact Dimmer multiple times, but his calls went to voicemail. At 12.27 p.m., Iskabul said he received a phone call from Braun Cartwright, an assistant athletics director with New Mexico, who said he could help answer the questions in follow-ups calls with Cartwright Iskabul and said he learned a bus carrying NMSU team was traveling back to La Cruz since the game scheduled for the afternoon had been postponed. I began driving south on Interstate 25 with my lights. Simon's activated attempting to locate the bus with NMSU basketball team on it, as people write. State police coordinated with the team to have the bus stop at the Fort Craig Rest area which is about halfway between La Cruz and Albuquerque. While there, Iskabul said he recovered a tablet from the assistant coach, Lorenzo Jenkins. Also, Iskabul learned Taylor and Peek had, gun pack at, <clears throat> had Peek's gun back at the Doubletree Hotel. Iskabul returned to the Albuquerque to retrieve the gun. I then asked Coach Taylor how he came about getting the firearm. Coach Taylor said, ex- Taylor said explained that Issa, Marcellus and Anthony told Coach Hera where the firearm was at. Coach Hera then called Coach Taylor and told him where the firearm was at and to go get it. This were rights. <clears throat> On Monday, New Mexico Athletics Director Mario, Mario Malcia announced Peak 21 had been suspended from the team. Peak brought a gun with him on the school bus to Albuquerque, a violation of university rules. Left his hotel room after curfew, a violation of the team rules, and had a firearm on a university campus. A possible misdemeanor in New Mexico. Peak has not been charged with any crime. Okay, well, that's one thing in his favor. Broke the rules. You should not have a firearm. However, if you did not have that firearm, you would have been dead. Muhammad, Avery, and Roy played in the team's four games since the shooting, but were suspended for the game Wednesday at Santa Clara. Their involvement did not become public until KO18, citing the police supplement report, published a story Monday while the team played Simon Fraser at home. Following the Simon Fraser game, Oka said the entire team and coaching staff would travel on Tuesday as the Aggies have a three-game road trip over the next week. However, Tuesday, NMSU revealed that Royal did not travel due to personal reasons. Muhammad and Avery will travel, but will be in free clothes 
2019's first game of the road trip. Either Muhammad, Ingrid, nor Roy have been charged related to the allegations in the police supplemental report. A spokesperson for the second judicial district attorney's office, which in Bernal County, told the Albuquerque Journal that the DA's office is actively working with the New Mexico State Police investigators investigate the conduct of the New Mexico State University staff and players. Okay. The report from New Mexico State Police obtained by KOA stated police have videos showing the three of Peak's teammates arriving at the scene before police and the Peak and that Peak placed the gun and other items in the trunk of the Sherry Camaro before the teammates drive off. Police recovered the gun MSN, MN, NMSU assistant coach at an Albuquerque hotel later in the day, Ford stated. La Cruz Sun News has not yet mentioned, not yet obtained the police documents cited in KOA's report, which stated that Peak is seen on video after shooting meeting teammates and team shooting and meeting teammates Isa Muhammad, Marcellus Avery, and Anthony Roy, who arrive in the Camaro. Peak places items in the trunk of the vehicle, which sped off before police get to the scene. <clears throat> well, I hope that he is able to, you know, I hope he's able to get off because it was self-defense. Can't knock that at all. If he didn't have the gun, he would be dead. But let that be a lesson, though. You know, as young men, we want to go out there and go wild, but you can't do that anymore. Yeah, it's not it's not wise it's just dumb it's just it's dumb you're gonna have a lot of men who will probably say you're corny and you're lame I'd rather be corny and lame than dead a lot of you clowns will say that especially some of you black men you will say that it's okay to go get some butt it's natural it's sad to say from a 17 year old some of you black men will say that that's sad. That's some of you would tell your 21 year old son. All right. All I got for now. See you on the next one. Like the content. Um, hit a like. If you want to discuss more on these topics? Let's talk about it in the comment section. All right, later.